Se, Law 360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here virtually with my co-hosts, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson. I'm alive. We're all alive. It's great to be back. (laughs) We're here. I am so excited to see you guys on my screen in front of me. We're all set up in our various um, home situations with some some equipment. Yeah. Uh, Really glad we figured this out. I, for one, am sort of, I mean, it's fine for this episode, but Alex, in the future, I would ask that you not be fully nude. Okay, well, I mean, you know, we're all we're all feeling our way here. Uh, there, we're, there, there's going to be kinks. I, I don't want to feel out. anything. Well, that's okay. <laughs> that, that's fine too. I just want to say, like, you know, it would be one. Th- the, the extra frustrating thing about all of this is that, like, if the office were closed for some more, you know, benign reason than a global pandemic, like if there was like a gas leak or something, right? Bill and Steve and I could just be at Steve's house. I'm within yeah. like yes, a half a mile of these guys. And as it's just True. like so it's so tantalizing. Like I was walking by Bill's house today to like drop off my rent check and now here we are on the internet. So it's good to be back. But these are well, trivial trivial problems compared to uh yes. what's going on out there. And I think we're all pretty uh we're 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 thrilled to be able to do this, but we're thrilled that we're all sort of safe and healthy and 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 whatnot. I agree. Yeah, and it'll be no surprise to our listeners with us having been gone a little bit that when we come back, we're dedicating this whole show to talking about what's going on now with the coronavirus. We did a coronavirus show about how the (laughs) legal world was handling it before we left, and that feels so antiquated um, (laughs) just a month later. Things have changed a bunch, and there's tons of legal industry and other uh, lawsuit news that we want to let everybody know about. But we should say that going forward... We're going to do, we're obviously there's going to be a lot of coronavirus stuff to talk about, but we will be talking about other things. We're still trying to bring you a nice smattering of interesting legal developments. It's not going to be corona wall to wall going forward. Yeah. Uh, so, with that, um, it's great to be back. And what do we got so far, Amber? Well, um, I mean, not to bring down the mood of us being excited to be back, but since we are all watching this pandemic move across the country, we're also watching the related economic slowdown. And so are law firms. They're paying close attention to this and they're making some really tough decisions about things like staffing and pay and how to weather the storm they see coming. So I wanted to give some updates about that. Yeah, I mean the first sort of round of news that we saw come down that obviously grabbed a lot of attention in the in the sort of industry community was about payouts and layoffs and things like that. So what so, so what are we looking at here? Yeah, let me do the pay side first. So big law firm Cadwallader, Wickersham and Taft, which I think most people know that firm. It's really well regarded. They announced this week that the firm's pausing partner compensation distributions. It's also reducing associate and senior administrative staff pay by 25%. So no small amount there. Um, They sent out this letter to the staff. Uh, The managing partner of the firm explained that they're taking this step proactively as a measure so that they can avoid layoffs down the road. Here's a quote from the letter. The longer we wait to take action in response to the virus, the more difficult it will be for us to avoid much more drastic measures later on. Yeah. And they're not the only firm doing this. They're one of the prominent ones that caught a lot of attention. But Reed Smith announced um, that its leadership will slow partner cash distributions as well. Some smaller firms have done things like suspending 401k matches. We're seeing more and more of this in the industry. So why why you know why are we seeing this kind of like across the board cut when um, it, at this point? I mean, is there a sense of like why sort of the rationale behind the, the way that firms have approached this? 
Yeah, so basically you have options when you're seeing economic trouble ahead that you can either do these pay kind of remedies or you can let go of some staff. And the people that are in that pay cut sort of camp think that this economic downturn is fundamentally different than what we saw, let's say, back in 2008. And the reason it's different is that this is a health crisis. It's not just a traditional financial collapse or tightening of the markets in some way that feels like it'll be more potentially long-term. What they're hoping for is that if they cut the pay now, they keep all their staff, they keep everyone intact, and that when things hopefully get back to normal, um, the, the, the legal work will ramp up really quickly and they'll be ready because they will still have all that staff in place. Uh, there's other reasons for maybe going the pay route as well. Uh, about between 35 and 50% of all law firm revenue is allocated to partners. So if you include those partners in what you're doing in terms of giving up pay, you get a lot of cash reserves back into the firm. Yeah. So it may put them on some good footing there. And there's also the idea of just morale. We're all in a really tough situation here. I think that it would send a very specific signal to your staff if suddenly layouts, the layoffs are going on everywhere. So I think the idea that... We're all in this together, including equity partners, everyone top down from the firm, all sort of sacrificing to get through this moment, I think is part of the reason they're leaning that direction. Well, with an eye toward morale in that regard, uh, some firms are going the layoff route. Uh, we saw this week. Um, what, is, what is that looking like and, and, and how are they going about that? Yeah, despite everything I just said about going the pay uh, contraction route, I think that the layout, the the layoff move is a more traditional thing to do. It faced okay. with with turbulence. So what we're seeing here, um, firms like Womble Bond Dickinson, they decided to furlough some employees and lay off others. Uh, they're also doing a pay cut in addition to that. Prior Cashman has furloughed some associates. We've seen a couple different New York firms um, that have reduce their workforce. New York, of course, we all are living up here, yep. but everyone knows from the news, really hard hit by the coronavirus right now. Um, so those firms are doing things like eliminating positions and adjusting support level staff. So you're really seeing some of these layoffs and furloughs happening at various levels within the firm. And I would say that that's mostly just the traditional reaction to a contracting legal market is to they like terms like right sizing and that kind of thing to, to try yeah, to stay, sure. stay nimble. As someone who graduated from college in 2009, as as the world was collapsing, uh, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is, you know, is there any sense of what's going to happen with the folks who are getting out of law school right now? I'm sure that everyone is freaking out. There's all sorts of stuff about, you know, will law schools go to pass fail? How will the bar work? All yeah. sorts of other stuff. But I mean, is there a sense from the firm perspective what the outlook is or what sort of what things firms have said? I almost hate to pile on here, guys. I feel like I'm bringing the real doom and gloom to the up top of the show here, but well, it's a pandemic. It's, really, it's okay. It I mean, is. You know, this it's, is the, these, um, are, these are the facts. Yeah. So it's really no surprise with everything going on that um, summer associate classes are expected to contract. Uh, we'd already seen signs of that in the market anyway. Um, some analysis of numbers from last year showed that there were there were smaller groups going into summer associate programs in law firms. And industry watchers expect that to just accelerate with all the turmoil this year. And then, Bill, you also asked about the bar exam. We've seen some really, it's not surprising in the face of what is going on in the broader world, but in terms of how steady bar exams typically are, it's kind of a shock to hear that 
two different states have already postponed their July bar exam. That's New York and Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, they're looking to reschedule in the fall. They don't have a date for that yet because like everything else that's been postponed, it's really hard to tell when we'll be on the other side of this and be able to have large gatherings. But the rationale there is that bar exams, especially in a state like New York, for example, brings together a lot of people in one place to take that exam. I mean, I think back to many yeah. years ago when I took mine in Virginia and it was literally in an arena like on the sure. concrete floor of a civic center, essentially. Well, the final and step of the final step of the bar used to be that you had to uh, fight Antonin Scalia, right? I thought, I, I, or at least I, I was in the I really middle of a sort of a, a I mean, that's how I passed. T- style. Yeah, yeah. So it was strength. a gladi- gladiatorial thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's how I passed. Well, this yeah. is um, sort of the uh, this is sort of the magic question that's looming over not just the legal industry, but really every you know every sort of corner of modern society that's come to a halt. Don't know if we have a great answer, but do we have any kind of expectation? Is there like an industry consensus on how to deal with this stuff going forward or might be coming down the pike? Yeah, Abra Coe, who writes so many of these stories for us at Law360, she wrote a good one. And the title, I just am going to read the title. It just answers that whole question. Law firm pay cuts, layoffs will likely multiply. Sure. That's what we're <laughs> facing right now. I mean, one of the management's consultants that she she talked to for that article said that firms are making choices about things like uh, the pay that we've talked about, are typically uh, knocking down those partner distributions and salaries by about 30%. And the consultant went on to tell her that he's expecting at least 80% of the top 200 firms to make this kind of move before April 15th. Yeah, boy. Yikes. Yeah. Um, so that's the broad picture of how firms are faring. But I think we also want to get into what it's like in courtrooms right now, or at least in filings. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's it's I think it's a very interesting contrast, this how the business of law is adapting versus, you know, the substantive day to day job of a of a lawyer, how that's going in this situation. Um Attorneys are in a sort of an interesting uh, bind here, right? Because yeah. f- for the most part, I think th- what what you see is that most attorneys are are good, decent human beings who want to do what what we're all doing right now, which is being extra kind, being respectful, trying to sort of take a wide <laughs> a wide turn here and give everyone as much accommodation as they possibly can and put health and safety first. But I mean, lawyering by its very definition and particularly litigation is 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 an adversarial uh, pursuit and and lawyers are ethically bound to zealously defend their clients you know people are mm-hmm. going to court for to redress a, a wrong or prove that they didn't do something wrong or you know to to there's very you know there's no there isn't an easy situation where a lawyer in a lot of situations can just pull back in a situation right. like this or say you know do whatever you want in this situation so it's a very, very tricky uh, needle to thread and yeah. and to, to sort of go in between those two interests. And that's what we're going to talk about right here. We had- so how do we, yeah, how do we see people, how are they doing? I mean, are there more nice people out there that we're hearing about or more of the people that are creating some some extra trouble in a pandemic? So I think for the most part, I... I, I, I you know, it seems for the most part that people are doing a very good job with this, that um, one of our reporters, uh, Haley Conneth, uh, wrote a, a really great story last week about how um, everyone is really trying to be to sort of avoid that, you know, that jerk lawyer 
stereotype in this moment. She she quoted um, the chair of litigation at Nixon Peabody, uh, a, a very big law firm, saying that that it reminded him of how attorneys behaved after September 11th, um, where things sort of get reordered was his term, and you get a new perspective on you know, what what really kind of matters in a situation like this, that your little deposition mm-hmm. dispute is not the most important thing in the world. Um, another big law uh, uh, guy, a guy, the, the, the head of litigation at Wachtel, uh, put out a memo last week urging um, the firm's clients to really sort of adopt that that mentality that, you know, focus on what matters. If yeah. something is urgent, we will treat it as urgent. But, you know, really, we need to triage in moments like this to to deal with a situation like this. Um, you know, I've been I've been closely tracking this to try to work on a story on, you know, instances where attorneys are not sort of behaving as as well as they could. And you're, all, you're always muckraking. You're always you're always doing that stuff. <laughs> Who's being and a I, jerk? But so I shared something on Twitter last week, sort of yeah. saying something to this effect, where I said, look, I'm looking for if you've seen your own opposing counsel, if you've heard from a friend right. about something like this, I want to know about it. And, I, you know, I got a few responses that were like that. But, but the vast majority of what I got was from people saying sort of the opposite, that, you know, that they were very pleasantly surprised with people, that everyone is sort of like, we're in this together and there's no need to be to be horrible in a situation like this. There's no need to make something worse. Yeah. And That's so nice to hear. I'm actually yeah. really like buoyed by the idea that you heard more positive stories than negative. Well, Amber, we'll, uh, we'll I'll try to, I'll try to deflate in a few me minutes. later. Okay. Um, but you know, there's no, there's no like magic bullet here. I mean, there's no, the, the, you know, some things need to, like I said at the up top, there, there is a tension here. Um, and sometimes you need to be aggressive. Sometimes, your opponent is acting in bad faith out of, you know, under thinking that you will be deferential in a situation like this. But right. um, Haley quoted had ended her story with, with a really great quote from uh, Judge Amy Totenberg, a federal judge in Georgia, who basically said, like, I, I need everyone to try to be on their best behavior and be kind in this in this moment. The quote. Be kind to one another in this most stressful of times. Remember to maintain your perspective about legal disputes, given the larger life challenges now besetting our communities and the world. Good luck to one and all. Uh, that's like like Amber said. That's obviously very encouraging to hear. But Bill, you are nothing if not a messy bee from New Jersey who lives for drama, uh, <laughs> and you very diligently. There there are some contra examples here, um, and I and I did want to mention. I mean, we we there's there's we've written a bunch of. Very interesting stories about this, and we should have said probably off the top. Like a lot of news organizations, these are all in front of our paywall now, uh, so you should check them out. We'll link them in the show as always. Um, but what did you manage to dig up, Bill? I'm going to change my Twitter bio to uh, to that description of me, a yeah. messy bee from New Jersey. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I mean, there are a few cer- uh, circumstances where you know people who have failed to heed these warnings, and that I just sort of laid down, and judges have been uh, pretty pretty direct with telling them that they they weren't thrilled with the situation. Um, I-, I heard from a few people that you know that, that that a judge or a clerk will get in touch with them and be like, "Hey, listen, pump the brakes. Like, I need <laughs> you to I need you to tone it down right now." Um, but, but, but you, we've seen through filings that a few others have been chewed out in pretty spectacularly public fashion. Um, so one of the first cases that we saw of this circulating, it was, um, uh, nearly two weeks ago at this point, um, a federal judge was hearing a case involving K 
counterfeit drawings of unicorns. And I assure you, awesome, that that is what the case was actually about. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was standard issue anti-counterfeiting lawsuit. You file a lawsuit against a bunch of online retailers. You say they're selling our stuff. It's, you know, it's not that objectionable in a normal situation. But the ju- but what happened here was that they sought this, this uh, temporary restraining order where they said, you know, we need this... We need to send out uh, orders to a bunch of third parties. We need to, you know, we need to to really take sort of drastic action here to stop the sale of again counterfeit drawings of unicorns. <laughs> so the judge just basically tore into them and said and like wrote this big long thing about how you know this is not an emergency. We are in a an actual emergency in the world, and you are using precious court resources to. Yeah. To do this, and not only that, but you're going after these innocent third parties that are also dealing with their own problems that, you know, you want to go to ISPs, you want to go to web companies and banks and all these different things. And, you know, it's just not the kind of thing you should be doing right now. The, the, the judge specifically said that this is like insensitive. This is this is, you need to just reel it in. Yeah. Um, just yesterday, in another case, we saw um, uh, the federal judge who's overseeing the upcoming trial of uh, Theranos CEO Elizabeth Holmes um, said that he was, uh, quote, taken aback um, by a request for this sort of blanket approval to violate the various um, oh, wow. shelter in place stay orders that that had been, you know, on travel and different things to to go around the country preparing for trial. And the judge said, like, the, the, the tone of this was was just just very, very uh, uh, off-putting. Um, yeah, you can imagine. And then perhaps, perhaps most notably, there was uh, the, a story that I wrote was um, last week there's a, a case in Florida federal court um, dealing with uh, Norwegian cruise lines, and the judge said that he was uh, shocked to see that the attorneys for both sides had been unable to resolve a sort of run-of-the-mill scheduling snafu over a deposition. Uh, I will leave us with this quote. We are living in an unprecedented situation. Nevertheless, the lawyers in this case have been exchanging snippy emails over the past two weeks over the scheduling of a corporate representative deposition. (laughs) If all the issues we are currently facing were organized on a ladder of importance, this deposition scheduling dispute would not even reach the bottom rung of a 10-rung ladder. Made clear. Loud and clear there. Yeah, so I think that I mean the takeaway here is that like you know just use common sense. Uh, just yeah. you know don't file emergency motions unless they're actually emergencies. Don't seek sweeping injunctive relief. You know just take sure. into account the fact that that this is a this is a a time that is taxing not only your opponents but also courts and 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 their resources. Yeah, and you've seen already some people are starting to talk about like you know putting in place you know, systems to do, you know, virtual depositions or video conferencing and stuff like that. So we'll see, obviously keep our eyes on that. Um, But as you say, this has started to sort of bleed into courts as Bill just laid out for us there. And I wanted to talk about some active litigation that is sort of like coronavirus adjacent. The virus itself has already given number to a rise of lawsuits uh, or like legal proceedings, whether we're talking about bankruptcy claims and insurance claims or like, as, as Bill was just hinting at, sort of investor suits against cruise lines and things like that. Um, but I wanted to talk about this really interesting case that popped up just this week um, that is, like I say, on the periphery of the outbreak a little bit. And it is a privacy class action against Zoom, uh, which is, of course, the video, confer- uh, video conferencing app that has 
really surged in popularity in the era of social distancing as people uh, get acclimated to working from home. I thought maybe you were talking about uh, Zune, uh, Microsoft's uh, short-lived iPod competitor. I thought people were, you know, up <laughs> in arms really over the digging back into those. I was yeah, gonna, yeah, yeah. say <laughs> if we're if we're still litigating over Zune, I I I I weep for those people. Um, but uh, you know, Zoom is obviously, you know, to borrow from Zoolander, so hot right now. Um, and chances are, a lot of people who are listening to us have have used this. Um, but uh, earlier this week, uh, this uh, there was a proposed class action, like I say, that was filed by a man named Robert Cullen in California federal court. And it basically, it's a garden variety sort of privacy claim to accuse Zoom of violating a number of privacy laws by collecting its users' data without their, without their consent and sharing it with third parties, most notably Facebook, um, which then subjected those users to targeted ads. Um, and Facebook the, is always involved yeah, in right. privacy things somehow. Yeah, 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 they haven't been sued on this yet, but they are, like, like you say, unsurprisingly a big player. And the complaint is very explicit in terms of um, you know, it ticks off all the normal privacy statutes that usually get implicated in cases like this, but it does make a point to say, like, you know, a, a great number of users have, like, flocked to this service that they might not know a lot about and not, might not be very aware of uh, in the wake of the, of the COVID-19 outbreak and perhaps are using it under uh, flimsy pretense. This is a quote from the complaint. Had Zoom informed its users that it would use inadequate security measures and permit unauthorized third-party tracking of their personal information, users like plaintiff and class members would not have been willing to use the Zoom app. So um, these uh, the case grew out of uh, 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 claims that were published uh, in stories like Vice and some other media outlets. Uh, and Zoom took action pretty quickly. They updated the app and sort of acknowledged the data sharing concerns in this like lengthy explanatory March 27th uh, blog post. It's so interesting, right? The uh the that this this almost feels like a microcosm of of everything else that we're doing in response to this crisis where we're jumping toward whatever we can do yeah. to try to fix something without without a, a particularly long, you know, s- sort of thought process about the about what we're doing. And it's it's a very interesting sort of look at like, yeah, we'll all just use Zoom because Zoom's this great new thing and we're all stuck in our houses all the time. But has <laughs> anyone actually thought about whether Zoom is just chopping up our uh, our information and selling yeah. it? It's a very interesting... I also think it's like this classic thing of um, this maybe wouldn't have gotten as much attention except now people did all flock to it's Zoom true. because yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, like I say, Zoom uh, was pretty robust in its response to a lot of these allegations, put out what I consider, just by my reading, some pretty extraordinary corporate statements in that it didn't it, 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 it did not deny any of the substantive allegations against it regarding the suit. I mean, re- regarding the Facebook data sharing thing, which is at the center of this class action I just talked about, it basically said that it had just recently learned that it had left itself open to this. Um, and had updated the app in due course. They put out a they they put out a statement that said, "Our customers' privacy is incredibly important to us, and therefore we decided to remove the Facebook software development kit in our iOS client and have reconfigured the feature so that users will still be able to log in with Facebook via their browser." Long story short, we updated the app. We fixed the problem. Should be okay. But it should be noted that the suit the suit that I talked about from this guy Robert Cullen, the class action, um, was filed even after they updated, and they basically don't consider that update to be sufficient. According to the complaint, 
Zoom has not blocked prior versions of its app that do mine the data and can, um, nor has it sort of explicitly assured its customers that any data that was mined from the previous versions of the app has been deleted. They didn't sort of actively say that, and so that's a ripe issue. Um, more broadly, though, they put out another statement that addressed some sort of more systemic concerns about the company's approach to privacy. Namely, a lot of people were, it, it, was, it, it came out and, and was a point of online discussion that the company doesn't have end-to-end encryption, which is to say, you know, all, all data, all content transferred between the person sending a message and the person receiving it is locked in. There are no third parties that access it. Yeah. Um, and this popped up because what you saw were some instances of uh, Zoom bombing, which is um, where sort of unsavory third-party actors would literally just like parachute into meetings and post like porn or white supremacy stuff in the oh middle of the meeting. It's very similar of, to what we talked about with the uh, the Ring lawsuit a couple yeah. months ago. Yeah, same, um, same, same type of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I mean, this is... Uh, this is sort of bread and butter, early internet stuff, porn and white supremacy as means of trolling. Um, but in that regard, they put out a statement that said, this is a, this was a, this was a separate statement sort of addressing this encryption concern. We want to start by apologizing for the confusion we may have caused by incorrectly suggesting that Zoom meetings were capable of using end-to-end encryption. While we never intended to deceive any of our customers, we recognize that there is a discrepancy between the commonly accepted definition of end-to-end encryption and how we were using it. So what we said was a thing. What we actually meant to say was a different thing. And we could totally see how you would find two different things to not be the same. (laughs) We understand that. They've they've not, to my knowledge, yet been sued for this specific thing. I mean, obviously, the like Facebook data sharing is related to this overall privacy model, but a fascinating corporate line to take on. We thought we were doing end to end encryption, and we're not. Um, but yeah, so uh, they've been busy, obviously. Okay, so these things, you know, it's I, I these things tend to to spread when you have uh, millions of users using something. Um, is there a sense that there's going to be other lawsuits? Are government regulatory agencies looking into this? What's what's coming down the pike next? I mean, you know, like you say, anecdotally, we can almost certainly say yes. There will be other lawsuits. There will be other investigations. One thing that we know concretely. Um, is that on Monday, New York Attorney General Letitia James, uh, her office, sent a letter to Zoom that again kind of arose out of these general, like very vocal criticisms of its encryption or lack of encryption, um, just kind of uh, inquiring more about the company's security protocols since it's such a heavily used company now. The office, uh, uh, again, sent a letter. Uh, part, of the, uh, part of the letter is quoted as saying um, that the, the office is, quote, Uh, concerned that Zoom's existing security practices might not be sufficient to adapt to the recent and sudden surge in both the volume and sensitivity of the data being passed through its network. So there again, you have what might be sort of a garden variety tech company that's like, oh, that looks a little weird. We want to take a look at this, but it's under everyone's microscope now. And it's hard to imagine uh, the sort of legal blowback going away anytime soon.
you cool cats and kittens. We like to end our show with something offbeat, and we have a great one today. <laughs> if you haven't watched it yet, I don't know what you're doing. We're all at home. Watch Tiger King. It's, Let's talk about it. It's good programming. Uh, I, uh, it's, it's You know, it's been a really rough time. I think a lot of people are having a lot of trouble just wrapping our head around about what's going on in the world. It's like this was a gift from the gods that we well, all I, got to enjoy I saw someone together. tweeting that it is unspoilable because it's just so preposterous <laughs> that like, <laughs> yeah. how would you even That's explain right. one thing from oh, the next? Yeah. And it, all the narrators are so completely unreliable that like, Definitely. who yeah. knows what actually happened? Well, I was, just in case yeah. there's anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, let me just do a, I won't explain anything because you're right, Bill, you can't. I was like, but, I, I was just going to say, I'm excited for you to try and give me the elevator pitch on Tiger King, but I'll, I'll yeah. just say this: warring it factions a, of big cat it owners. It is a yeah. um, short documentary television show on Netflix called yeah. Tiger King. Um, it follows a very colorful character in the world of owning and um, and showing big cats. <laughs> it was also a great podcast, which you know we all love those, and I've been listening to that too. It was a Wondery podcast, and it's. Got the most ridiculous characters that you would swear it's not true, but it's real. Yeah, I was a little late to it. I mean, it kind of burned through. It kinda, I feel like it really started to heat up like the, at the beginning of last week, and then I didn't watch it till this most this past Sunday. And, and like you say, Bill, it was pretty unspoilable. I had had sort of like it was all memed to death at that point. Sure, like I knew it was going on, but it was still tremendously fascinating. And furthermore, you know, like I fully diagnosed myself as having full legal reporter brain because I got through like two episodes and it's obviously very engaging and very crazy and interesting but I was like well sooner or later someone's gonna sue somebody and oh, yeah. I'm excited yeah. for that to come because that, like that's that, that that's how my brain works and there definitely is no shortage of that the entire thing sort of culminates uh on you know it hinges on various legal battles well it's fascinating right like it 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 is this sweeping story and there are lots of lawsuits lots of litigation but you know what it all starts with a trademark lawsuit i i thought of you right so away i thought of you I was right also away a little bit behind on this until i got a text or a chat from bill saying amber do you know that there's ip law in tiger king and then i was like well now i have to watch it you're underselling it it was in all caps and there was an exclamation point so was, by law you had to scream that into the microphone that i should have i'm sorry uh but yeah, so I mean, so we've been sort of digging in this week into pulling all the various uh, documents from this, and we're going to put put it together in a really fun feature that's going to come out uh, tomorrow uh, in Law 360, so everyone should go check it out. But um, uh, And it is, it is, I mean, unsurprisingly, a ton of materials that, that these yeah, people sure. suit each other. Many times they they you know it it went through various different courts, um, various different types of law. Shockingly, never a defamation lawsuit, which I thought was oh, uh, that is surprising. Well, let's uh, give like the top line of what the trademark lawsuit is all about that kicked it off. Yeah, so I mean, the, to a certain extent, you sort of have to have seen the show to have any of this stuff make sense. Um, that's sort of a reverse spoiler al spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, in in 2011, uh, uh, Carol Baskin, who is sort of the arch nemesis of our of our antihero uh, antagonist, whatever you want to call it, uh, Joe Exotic, in in this story, um, she filed a trademark lawsuit against him in Florida federal court, saying that because he had adopted this very similar name to her group, he had ca they're called Big Cat Rescue, and she called and and 
he called his his company Big Cat Rescue Entertainment. Um, awesome. And so we don't need to go too far into it, other than to to say that she eventually won, um, and she won a a a million dollar roughly judgment in this case. Um, she filed a few more. She filed a copyright lawsuit. Um, yeah. All of this is referenced in the show, but. But th- these the this this million dollar judgment that she won against him really drives the action yeah. of the show. So I was like, well, you know how how did that unravel in court? So I started digging a little bit further, and she files these. Uh, you know, after these judgments happen, she files these cases now in Oklahoma federal court. They're these foreign judgment cases, and that allows you to bring a judgment that you have against someone to a different venue and say, yeah. look, we want to enforce this here. That gave her the right to garnish his wages, to um, to subpoena his banks. So again, we hear that reference on the show, but that's sort of the specific uh, legal mechanism by which she she did this. It's it's. I think the most fascinating thing about this whole thing is how relentless and sort <laughs> of meticulous this whole ordeal was. She found one hook to sue him on and it was like that little bit of water that gets in through your roof and then rots the whole building. She she won this judgment and then just pursued and pursued and pursued and um so you know so she filed these cases and the, as they mentioned on the show he uh, uh dissolved the zoo to try to hide this. Yeah. So at well, that point yeah. she files these other lawsuits one saying that that had been a fraudulent transfer of the assets another one against his mother which is also referenced in the um in in the show uh he files a bankruptcy proceeding at one point and uh she files a uh, an opposition to that saying that this was that because he never mentioned the um the transfers or anything like that so um there is just this long long trail of just fascinating legal documents yeah. that are all still out there sort of the 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 you know that what's under the hood of this documentary well that well, i mean what i think the, go ahead alex yeah the, well the thing i mean and you you frankly amber you probably have more to say about it than i do for as crazy as the story is we haven't even talked about polygamy yet we'll save that for next week <laughs> um I, I i i suppose but like for, for as crazy as the story is like you walking through it that way bill is like it creates such an interesting case study of like how civil litigation works and like the sort of cascading effects of a huge judgment like that when people can't write a check to pay it. And this is like sort of going into hawk for the person who litigated against you. And the sort of, a, I mean, in the, in, the, in the show, it's sort of, that is sort of pegged to his sort of descent into, you know, financial ruin, which leads to other, you know, obviously criminal charges. But like you say, it's, just, it's, 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 it's fascinating to see it play out that way. There's a well, couple he- things I thought about when this was going on and the, the legal stuff came up in the documentary. One was you don't really see actual arch nemesis situations <laughs> in real life. But this is as close as you're going to get. And of course, yeah. it makes sense that if you have that much vitriol for another person, you're going to go to every length you can in our legal system. And this is played out to a T there. And then the other thing I kept thinking about is the attorney involved in this like how wild is it to come home to your spouse and be like what'd you work on today honey well i mean the tiger king litigation is getting it's really heating up with this (laughs) cowboy that owns a ranch of 250 tigers i mean it's just wild oh god we well and we we didn't i mean i don't even know if we'll mention the freaking you know the the allegation that carol baskin murdered her husband but the but her husband's (laughs) lawyer 
is like a crazy character. Yeah. How, how oh, be- yeah. How like beleaguered he is by the entire saga. I mean, whatever. I think the guy is passed away. I don't mean to make light of it. Yeah. But like just the way that he is just like the way he's framed, the way they shoot him in the documentary is just like he's he's behind his desk. He's got his business attire on and he's just like. I don't know what to tell you, man. A lot of unanswered <laughs> questions. Well, and he makes such a performative show of like, I know, I know, I know. where the line is for defamation. And it's like, oh, buddy, yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't. Like, <laughs> you, like this, is, this is deeply problematic for you. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I thought I would leave. I mean, obviously, we, we set a spoiler alert. So uh, uh, stop listening now if you if you don't want the show spoiled. But obviously he was later convicted in in uh court of murder for hire uh that there was a whole federal trial so we'll be going through all those documents as well in the in the story i thought i would leave us with uh a very very recent filing that that i found <laughs> um uh last week or no on march 17th uh joe exotic from prison because he's uh was sentenced to 22 years in prison for murder for hire um he filed a new lawsuit claiming sort of sweeping uh, allegations of a conspiracy against him and all sorts of other uh, reasons for why, well, maybe not a conspiracy, but all sorts of reasons for why he was not afforded a fair trial. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's it's the kind of thing that you see in situations like this. It's a little... Um, it's a little out there, but uh, there was one, uh, there was one moment that I, one, one thing I thought I would read that, uh, really illustrates the filing. Um, everyone remember Jeff Lowe, who is, uh, sure. uh, the, the, the guy who came in and sort of took over the park from, uh, from Joe and then ultimately worked with the feds to, uh, to put him in jail. The so, world's worst uh, angel investor, as I like to think of it, <laughs> but yes, yes. Vengeful capital. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, quote. Jeffrey Lowe files false statements to federal agents. He was the main person in this entrapment scheme to take my zoo for free, in all caps. <laughs> Changed my medicine with illegal drugs. Stole oh, my animals under fraudulent reasons. Destroyed my house with all my personal property in it. Coached and encouraged the government witnesses to lie under oath. So that'll give you a good sense of what the latest from Joe Exotic is. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be winning this one, but he, he, he is also pursuing an appeal, so um, we will keep an eye on that. Guys, I'm so happy we're able to leave off today's show talking about Joe Exotic, which is the only thing that I've wanted to think about in the face <laughs> of the dark times we're in right now. Yeah. Thanks for being with me today, Bill. See you again next week, guys. And Alex. Thanks. I also want to thank our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader our graphic designer, Chris Yates, and the many contributing reporters to today's show, Michelle Gorman, Amber Coe, Mike LaSusa, Haley Knopf, Natalie Rodriguez, Emma Whitford, Frank Runyon, and many, many more. Music for the show comes from Silent Partner. If you like Pro Se, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts so other people can find us. And all of our Law360 coronavirus-related coverage is outside of our paywall. So if you want to read more about anything we've talked about today, just head to our website. It's law360.com slash podcast. Thanks and see you again next week.